We're back at it, but not everything's as it was. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. Racing is back and today we're looking back at the very Grand Prix, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and the first sprint race at Baku. So first of all, starting with the race when he started in P3 but finished in P1, Sergio Perez won the first race back and he's closed the gap in the championship to his teammates after benefiting, it's fair to say, from the incident involving Nick DeVries that ultimately triggered a safety car after yellow flags were raised. Now, none of us predicted that Perez w- would win this race, if you are to go and listen back to the previous episode, but he's won at this circuit twice now, and he's also dubbed, of course, the Street Circuit King, so nobody can be too surprised by this, can they, Tristan? They can't, and I think this also puts to rest a little bit those, uh, I don't know, Verstappen fans, although I hasn't used the word fan, um, chanting from the sidelines that Perez can't beat Verstappen unless Verstappen's car is broken. Uh, and he's yeah. proved everyone wrong and beat him in Baku. And a track that I think is it's one of those tracks where if you do get close to someone, you have a, an excellent chance of, of overtaking them thanks to that enormously long back straight, which is, is just ludicrously long. Um, and paired with a DRS section within it as well i know the red bulls made it look easy getting past people like uh charles leclerc um but perez was able to shake verstappen off really really easily i think and not only shake him off but consistently throughout the the latter half of the race was two to three seconds ahead um and if you listen to the onboard radio then actually it was funny because Red Bull were, were saying to Max, you know, you, look, you've got to be targeting these these lower numbers, um, which is something we're not really used to hearing. It's not often that we hear Max being told you've got to pick up the pace a little bit. And every time Max put in a faster lap, Paris was putting a faster lap in as well, which implied to me that they were basically kind of level pegging, I'd say, throughout that race. I, I think Perez has, yeah, again, demonstrated everyone just how good he is and i think will buxton summarized it really nicely actually when he said it's not going to beat his first ever win but it was up there with one of his best drives and make no mistake baku even when you're cruising along at the in the lead is a challenging track there is very little runoff and throughout the weekend be it formula two or formula one of that uh, we we saw how easily it is to go from hero to zero um, and 
throw yourself into a barrier. I mean, let's not forget that pole position, Charles Leclerc even hit the barrier after he got the, 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 the pole position. So yeah, hero to zero very easily. But Perez was a cool, calm street king and is closing down on Max Verstappen. Does it, does it have the same sort of vibes as last year when Perez was getting close to Verstappen? Is this a moment that we, we can start to see the real championship rival appearing out of the dust? And not Charles Leclerc, but it could be Verstappen's right-hand man, Mr. Sergio Perez. Well, is he his right-hand man anymore? That's the question. Oh, if, yeah, you, uh, yeah. if you if you look at, listen to the messages on the team radio after, uh, after Sunday's race, a very telling message, I think, from Perez, where he basically said something along the lines of, this is for you guys. We are still in the fight. Now, was that aimed at the whole team or not? I'd say based on that wording, quite possibly not. Um, also, if you take into account uh, Christian Horder's wording to uh, uh, Max Verstappen, saying to Max on the radio, it's okay, Checo got lucky with the safety car. God. That's, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so um, very interesting team dynamic that could be could be appearing amongst that. Um, yeah, I think that it seems to me that I say I include I say we, but I'm not. A, it's probably perhaps me more myself. <laughs> um, yeah. But w- we or I keep on writing off Sergio Perez and being under the impression or the illusion that it's something which is out of his range. A championship fight is out of his grasp because he's got even when he's got the best car on the grid, he's got a teammate who is ahead of him on general pace. Um, but Perez just keeps he uh, he keeps never never giving up. He keeps never giving up. Um, I read a very interesting comment. I read a very interesting comment from um, so a lady called Bernie Collins, who used to be the head of um, uh, race strategy at Aston Martin and Force India and Racing mm-hmm. Point, and she's now Sky Pundit. Mm-hmm. And she said she said Checo, obviously what Sergio Perez is known as to the paddock. Checo's greatest trait is his resilience. So basically, mm-hmm. his ability to bounce back to just keep going like not give up in any respect think of scenarios in his career like when he was racing for McLaren and then he had to go and he had a pretty rubbish year there and he had to go rebuild his reputation at Force India Mm -hmm. Uh, or when the uh, racing point uh, the year that they went for Sebastian Vettel and kept Lance Stroll and Sergio Perez was out of the team and he he just kept on going, proving his worth. He, he It's almost like he went, I'm not giving up. I'm going to prove to people why I want this race seat or why I deserve it. And he went and won that race, that crazy race in Sakir. Mm. And even at Red Bull, he sort of, he's proving more and more like his, you'd say his worth, his, uh, he's fighting back, he's being resilient. And he's now just six points behind Verstappen in the championship, which if you said to me that that would have happened after four races... I wouldn't necessarily have believed you, but there he is. He's, cre- he's creeping up on Verstappen. Verstappen still is the faster driver, and he, without without saying it explicitly, he has the favoritism from the team. I'd say, but Perez ain't he ain't going away. He's just he's he's nipping at his heels. He's uh, he's not uh, he's not staying silent, and um, it remains to be seen if in the long run he keeps on being there, like sort of yapping at his heels, but. The signs are good for Perez so far. He's been uh, he's a strong start to the season. Maybe the year three at uh, at the new team is finally the one paying dividends, or at least it seems to be. 
Yeah, most definitely. I do think we do have a clear, obvious and evident title fight on our hands between the two. And there's many reasons, Ooh. but the main two uh, are, are the following. First of all, there seems to be no obvious rival or competitor to Red Bull. Last year, Ferrari was the better team in terms of the constructor or the car they delivered. The more established driver pairing. Uh, this time, they're coming back into the fight, seemingly, if you look at this Grand Prix in isolation. But Aston Martin tailed off, so there's no obvious competitor like in the Mercedes days, for example, where it was Hamilton versus Rosberg. Uh, and then there were other teams behind them, but more fighting with each other than fighting with the main team. So that's that gives Perez more of a chance and as well I think he's more experienced now not only when it comes to racing in Formula One but obviously with Red Bull as well and I go as far to say he's coming into the richest vein of form of his career ever because it's one thing to do it very well with Racing Point with Force India with dare I say a lesser team but to do it with one of the best teams if not currently the best team in Formula One against one of the best drivers in the modern era of Formula One and to beat him twice out of what's that four races that takes some you know some doing really you can go and say well the safety car helped him there were issues with Verstappen's car he got a bit lucky but sure there's luck that everyone has but the ability to go and grasp that opportunity take it for yourself mercilessly and then go and drive home the advantage of something else entirely really and six points that's no difference at all is there really there's only has to go and be one or two issues with Verstappen or unfortunately one or two issues with Perez and that gap widens or shortens accordingly so all to play for really Perez has got a contract with Red Bull for many a year to come. He's established himself as a very good driver for them. He's not in a more vulnerable situation as he was previously. And for that reason, I think that um, if Perez wants to fight for this championship, it's going to be very, very difficult for Christian Horner and co. Helmut Marco, everyone else, to try and stop him, really. Because if you try and stop him, arguably, you make the, uh, the situation worse and, um, yeah, sort of... I put bad feeling, dare I say, in the camp, which currently... You can read into a few messages if you want, but currently hasn't existed for, for many years, months or, or days really with this team. But what do you guys think? Do we have a title fight? I do really think there's a title fight. I, mean, I Yeah, can, I do. I, I, but this is what we said last year. But this is... The thing is, though, Perez is, as I say, fighting with Verstappen as the only key sort of, you know, uh, competitor to him. He's more experienced. I think... Well, it's not going to be an obvious one, like, let's say, I don't know, Hamilton versus... Uh, Verstappen, Hamilton versus Rosberg. I don't think it's that close, but I do think that there is uh, a clear opportunity and a clear, you know, uh, yeah, a gap in the market, if you will, an opening for there to be a fight more so this year than last year. I mean, I I agree that it's between the Red Bulls. Um, Fourteen wins in in fifteen races is just insane. That's the. I found out that it's the third time in the hybrid era a team has taken 14 wins in a block of 15 races, which is just sad. Uh, mm. If you want to know, that's 2014 to 2015 mm. Mercedes, 2015 to 2016 Mercedes, and then 2022 to 2023, that's Red Bull. Oof. That's, mm. uh, that's yeah, mm. 14 wins in 15 races is France um, over to Azerbaijan, this from 2022 to 2023, with only Brazil is if you remember Brazil, they they didn't win because yeah, wow. Mercedes won that. So yep. depressingly, the one that they didn't win went to Mercedes. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Um, <laughs> there you go. We're back to this, but this is the thing, right? Surely, surely it's not a title fight because I I just don't see Perez having the absolute pace 
um, in regards to the rest of the tracks. I think maybe a Formula One had only street circuits and I think I'd be slightly more optimistic. There's no getting away from the fact that Perez is keeping it close, but I think the thing that's going to have to really help Perez is everyone else around them fighting Max. I don't know if I don't know about you, but I feel like the fact that the pack seems to me to be closer means people are being a little bit more aggressive than we've seen for a while and people are, mm. like are being really aggressive when it comes to Max. Um and I'm sure we will talk about the George Russell Max Verstappen incident um during the sprint race in a, in a bit. But I can't see Perez beating Verstappen on absolute pace. It's a bit like how Bottas was by far and away the second best driver on the grid for a long time. But we might not... I wouldn't say, well, Bottas is definitely beating Hamilton. There was just another level there. And I just don't... I don't. I wouldn't say it's necessarily as bad as the Bottas-Hamilton time. But I would say Perez is... You know, ninety-eight percent, ninety-seven percent, as fast as as Verstappen, and we're just you know when it's Baku and places other street tracks, perhaps we're we're seeing the um the the overlap, but that extra three percent makes a difference. I couldn't see Perez, you know, taking the fight to to Hamilton in twenty twenty one in the same way, and I don't know when when Verstappen feels threatened, I think he elevates himself to a new level. And I think that's the thing that will prevent Perez from perhaps taking the title. Yeah, I don't think Perez will win it, to be clear. But if you're looking at the mm. the first four races, for example, he's matched Verstappen in all but one race. And if I look back to the Australian Grand Prix as well, I think he was involved in a near collision or an incident there. So you've got to go and, I suppose, uh, show some, uh, some mercy, if you will, to that result compared to the others. But I take your point. It's going to be another Hamilton-Bottas scenario. But I think that Perez has a bit more fight about him, dare I say, than Bottas. I think Bottas was always of the opinion he was just happy to be there, dare I say. That may be totally wrong in the way that he sort of presented himself. But with Perez, I do get the feeling that he's had to fight for literally every part of his career to be where he is. Granted, he's come from, you know, a fair amount of money to get him into the sport. But no one's ever really backed him or rated him. So I think that's what drives him on more than anything else. And there's no obvious successor as well to Perez at the moment. And that's what's to his advantage. There's nobody in AlphaTauri, Tsunoda or Nick DeVries, particularly DeVries on current form, who's going to go <laughs> and take that seat away from him. So unless they're going to go all in for someone like Lando Norris, the seat's his until the contract runs out. And are you going to go and sack a driver who's done so very well and push your main driver and help to elevate him and keep things competitive? Well, you'd be a very foolish team if you did, in my view. I, I have a, a follow-up question, I suppose. And perhaps, Angus, you can feed into this as well. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think Perez would have got past Verstappen without the the little bit of lady luck on the side that allowed him to to jump Verstappen thanks to the safety car? No, I don't think so. Honestly, I think he had a pace advantage the Verstappen the whole weekend, and it's odd in that. Because in my mind, and maybe I have to change this sheet, but Baku's a track where overtaking is is more easy because you actually have that, as you mentioned earlier, that huge long straight, which is like two kilometres. They're flat out for two kilometres or something ridiculous. Um, and even though the cars hit the limiter, hit their top speed, you'd still have enough space, enough time to 
enough distance, in fact, to make an overtake with the DRS on. But yet this weekend, an issue we found with the race was that this wasn't happening with lots of drivers and they were struggling to get past. So part of me thought surely Verstappen would have been able to make that move once he's had that bit of poor luck and Perez has got in front. But it turns out he didn't. Now, I think that's more to do with the track characteristics rather than Verstappen not being able to get past or Perez being able to defend stoutly, defend adequately. Because I think Verstappen just had a pace advantage this weekend. Perez, I think, won based on his composure and his uh, his ability to hold the lead. And he's one of those drivers, I think, where Verstappen, I'd back to win from anywhere. Like, as you saw last year, he won from, like, there's a set of races where he won from 14th in Belgium. He won from 7th in Italy at Monza. It's easy to say that when you've got the fastest car like he did, but you've got to get the job done. And some drivers in the past would start further further back with a rapid car and would not be able to progress to win a race. But mm. Verstappen does that. But Perez is one of those drivers. And I think some drivers... That that category of drivers, which are like sort of not the very best but very good. So I'm thinking ones like Perez, or Bottas, or I remember watching Mark Webber back in the day. Mm. They all had those three. They all had faster teammates who were more sort of dynamic and more electric pace. But drivers like Perez or Jensen Button, if they got in front, you, like you wouldn't stop them. They they'd be very happy controlling the front of a race, but coming from behind was not their strength mm. because often it would be a, be- a better, so-called better driver in front of them. I think that helped Perez on Sunday. As soon as he got in front, that's his comfort zone. He controls races. Think of Monaco last year he led for so long from the front mm. or somewhere like, what's another race where he won from the front? I suppose off the top of my head, something like Saudi Arabia this year. He got in the lead and then he got in the lead, didn't he, from a, a uh, an early position and then he held the lead. And I think that's just where his forte is. So I think that if if, if the roles were swapped, Verstappen ain't relinquishing that lead because Perez doesn't suit coming from behind, whilst uh, he does very much suit staying at the front. I, th- so, I think I get what you mean. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean he's, he yeah, certainly has the capacity to run and and to to lead. I think it's it's one of those tricky questions because to to overtake a teammate. Um, Firstly, and kudos to Red Bull, I think, for letting them race. Um, yep. But yep. I don't know. I think mm. I I kind of disagree. I think in this case, Perez kind of had him. It had Verstappen on on absolute pace, and I think Verstappen's reaction was rather telling afterwards. In in the in the cool down room, he he basically just said to Perez, "Oh, you know, these things happen," and he was kind of calm about it. And it, it felt to me, maybe I'm projecting that. I think actually Verstappen knew that Perez was just a bit quicker, and mm-hmm. I mean he was clearly you know giving it his all. But before he got overtaken, Perez was getting within the one second mark of DRS. Mm-hmm. So yep. I I actually think perhaps Perez would have got past. Now it's a moot point because he clearly did get past. But mm. you know it's it is not a coincidence that Perez and Verstappen were very very nearly at the same point um, when. Verstappen was called in to do the pit stop and that actually gave Perez a huge advantage because <laughs> Perez was going down the back straight at full pelt when Verstappen was going through the pit lane and then when Verstappen was coming out of the pit lane having negated the 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 full length 
the the back straight that's when the the safety car came out so um when verstappen eventually got around the track he was unable to go down you know full pelt down the pit lane which gave perez ample time ample time and into uh to get pitted it, it was i think actually you make your own luck and perez could have had a race where in, in this occasion actually there was a safety car but he didn't he wasn't in the right position to get a benefit from it and that could have well happened so i think actually he did have the the the, the measure of max here but as i say if you look at the quality of max's racing in in other tracks uh i just can't see it i just can't, i can't see it and i think that's a bit of a shame but what i will say is you know if max does get into some accidents if he does have problems this year because people seem to be quite aggressive with him then there is very little substitute to a, you know a dnf even you can win formula one by having loads of second places if the person in the first place has some unfortunate accidents you know unreliability issues and and other such measures so maybe that maybe i'm i'm sort of twiddling my thumbs a bit seeing on the fence by supporting tom's argument there i i, I wouldn't quite count T- perez out just yet but i still can't see him winning yeah, I think that's very fair. I think to wrap up on this entire topic, really, my view of uh, Perez is, going back to Angus's point, he's a very patchy driver, and currently he's on a purple patch, and dare I say his purple patches have been getting longer the more he's been at Red Bull, owing to his experience with them and his experience in Formula 1 as well. But yeah, it has to be- become a purple season for him to win versus a purple patch so all eyes on the next race for him at least to see how he does versus the current number one driver in terms of both number on the grid and also number one in the paddock as well and yes to offer my thoughts is the title on nah sorry i hate to be a party pooper but i think the stappen just has that pace of answers we saw last year his ability as the car got faster to really take the championship by the throat and place it right where he wanted it so I could see a similar thing happening again this year. He's got more staying power as well, I'd say. So not even a fight then? Maybe a fight early on. And the you see it often, I think, with a, a championship where there is a, a smallish gap between a couple of drivers at the top and we feel a championship is there to be, to be won. But then in reality, one driver takes it by the scruff of the neck as the season prolongs. So the sprint was back this weekend, but not as we knew it from before. This time around, it was a standalone event where the qualifying grid and the final classification had ultimately no bearing on Sunday's race or how they set up for that as well. Uh, Verstappen has been very lukewarm on this sort of format, the new one and the older one uh, best really, and his mind hasn't really changed after this weekend. Our thoughts on his comments regarding the sprint race, Angus? The sprint. Hmm... Here I am fishing for something positive about it, I promise. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I just... I don't... I, I just, I'm just not convinced by the format still. I'm just... Like, it could, we could raise several points about it. I've always thought, Tristan, you've always gone on about how it's not doesn't feel like a sprint because it's still half an hour long, It's which is quite long for something that's a sprint, um, or supposed to be a sprint. I think that it wasn't helped by the track not being very generous to on-track action and overtaking this weekend. It's what I referred to last week's podcast, the sort of the boom and bust cycle of Baku, 
where it literally is feast or famine one race it's like chaotic crazy there's multiple safety cars it's wild but then if there isn't any of that it kind of just everyone just goes around and not much happens and this happened in the sprint a bit it didn't seem to me that the jeopardy that was spoken about was there the car, like they didn't seem to be a less less jeopardy and cars didn't seem to go for it as much to be honest it just seems the same as same as before even though it was a standalone event perhaps the most interesting part was yuki sonoda crabbing along after he uh after he damaged his suspension why on earth did alpha tari send him out by the way Oh yeah! Did you see that on the on the on the uh, on the replay? Some guy in a white in a yellow helmet went up to the the right rear wheel and went, "Yeah, that's fine. Yep. Out you go." <laughs> Sticking in the wrong direction. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, uh, that's the, just, um, the accuracy that, that they ended, promote. Yeah, and that ended up being the highlight of the whole thing, in my opinion. There are a few overtakes. There's a nice some nice little battles between uh, Stroll and Albon. Was one that stuck out. Um, some Hasses did some overtakings. So that was quite nice. Um, Nick DeVries overtook someone which he hasn't done a lot of this year so a rarity uh, yes exactly the battle at the front was alright like the top three but with the way that the Ferrari has been this year it's a bit like Baku a couple of years ago when Ferrari were kind of on their way back where Leclerc took a bit of a shock pole and you kind of you kind of thought to yourself well great but He's going to be overtaken eventually, isn't he? Mm. And it was on about, what, lap five or six. Um, so, yeah, I remain I remain unconvinced. Um, I'm I'm kind of like, I'm not quite like Max Verstappen. I'm not sitting there thinking, right, I'm going to stop watching F1 completely. The sprint is awful. I hate it. Forget the whole sport. I don't like it anymore. But I do agree with him that it could uh, F1 could do without them. So I, I remain to be... Uh, convinced on this aspect of the Grand Prix weekend. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts to be fair though. As as you two are perhaps more sort of s- sympathetic to the sprint than I, what did you think in terms of the f- weekend format? So obviously we had that extra sprint shootout qualifying session where I was trying to get my head around SQ1, SQ2 and SQ3. Um, what did you guys think of that, that little Saturday morning mini qualifying that was that was introduced? I think it's too confusing. It's mm. far too confusing. Ugh. Mm. In fact, the commentators, I got confused. I follow Formula One and I get really confused. I was trying to remember. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So we've had qualifying, but it's not qualifying. We're not allowed to call it qualifying anymore. So it's SQ1, SQ2. And I think that's just funny. It's, you know, it's just it's just amusing to me that how complicated it's got now. There's a qualifying and then not qualifying. SQ1, SQ2, and SQ3 directly relates to the, the, you know, the sprint afterwards. And then, and then you have to set that distinctly away from Friday for qualifying for Sunday. So, like, I don't know. Mm. It was a bit weird. It was a bit weird on Sunday because I was like, hold on a minute. We've done this. And also, wh- why is why is Claire at the front again? Oh, of course he's at the front again because he got pole on Friday. But surely the same thing is going to happen. Exactly the same thing is going to happen yeah. on, on Sunday as it did on Saturday. And it did. Of course it did. Why would anything change? I don't know. It's just getting... I, it's It's like a... You know one of those ridiculous burgers you see on the internet when it's it's like hmm. six patties and and five buns, and it's enormously long, and you think, look, that's not that's not edible. No one's going to eat that. It's ridiculous. Just just simplify it back down, and you know it felt like that. It felt like we've got far too many races and far too many qualifiers, and 
it just turns into a blur of content actually and i'm not i'm not gonna lie i was pretty bored i was pretty bored throughout the whole whole thing i'm sorry but mm. it just was a bit of a bit of a waste of time actually the sprint this yep. weekend and uh, i'm thinking now that we've got over the the honeymoon period of sprints i i'm i'm settling more on the side of of angus's perspective of it just seems a bit of a waste of time because it doesn't Mm. add anything and i'm not opposed to the idea of sprint races but here's my proposition for changing it and that is we need to make them and i think actually we've discussed before we need to make them mean something so my proposition is we make the sprint race reverse grid and Mm. It, t- it it kind of defaults into a, a game of cat and mouse. What I mean by that is the slower cars run away from the fast cars who are trying to catch them. Right? That's what you know. It's cat and mouse, and that's a that's a yeah. really fun experience. And you know, we do that in Formula Two. So it's not mm. like I'm putting out this out of thin air. But hey, stick to you know SQ one, SQ two, SQ three. Fine, that's all right. I don't mind having a separate qualifying. Um, because it kind of makes sense in this scenario. So SQ1, SQ2, SQ3, and that sets the the um, the like the fastest time order, and um, then then that directly relates to the Sunday grid as well. So maybe it's actually qualifying um, because then it, cars won't purposely go slow. So you have one qualifying, yeah, yeah. and then you reverse that for Saturday sprint race. The lower the slower cars try and run away from the fast cars and try and get a few you know token points excellent they're all happy and then on sunday you have the grand race the you know the big race and that's completely different because the slow cars are at the back and the fast cars are at the front we'll see something completely unique and hey that's it sorted saturday is a unique display and that's i think what i want otherwise it's Mm -hmm. just the same old same old it's like having bangers and mash for breakfast and bangers and mash for dinner you're gonna think it's a bit boring Hmm. Yeah, it sort of reminded me the sprint was like one of those trailers for a really good film where it just sort of tells you the story already. So you watch it and you go, well, I know yes. what's going to happen. So is there any point wasting three hours of my life? Probably not. No, go to go and check at the end to say, oh, yeah, that did happen because it's in the trailer. Um, so I agree entirely. There should be a reverse grid. There should be a new element, really, to the sprint race because otherwise it is literally just, hey, there's going to be more of this tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) tune in tomorrow there'll be more there's not enough now but there'll be more tomorrow yeah um so definitely there needs to be some change there as well i think there needs to be change we spoke about this earlier i think in episodes gone by a fluctuation or at least some leniency when it comes to the cost cap or damage inflicted uh, in the sprint races because I think where Verstappen's gripe really comes from is the fact that his car has sustained a decent amount of damage just before the race, give or take. His team then have to go and literally work around the clock to go and fix that said car and a bit more of the, I suppose, cost cap or the budget for the season is gone because they're repairing something which ultimately means nothing. If they're repairing a car and, let's say, flushing £20,000, £30,000 down the toilet for 50 points or 15 or something or a meaningful amount, it'd be like, oh, OK, I can see why we're doing this. It makes sense, you know. It, we're getting points, means, means justifies the end and all that, but it's like... We're doing this for a couple of points, which we're going to get more of tomorrow anyway. 
So why even field a car? And I think many teams are thinking that at the moment, particularly back here, and I think it will come round to many other circuits as well, where there shouldn't really be sprints. This should just be one race or at least something different when it comes to the Saturday. So, yeah, to be clear, I've never really been a huge fan of the sprint, but I've always been a realist insofar as it's not going to go anywhere. But there has been good change so far in the standalone element, so... I'm nothing if not an optimist, so keep those fingers crossed, folks. To add an element of balance, I have another Steiner fact that is uh, relatable to this particular topic. Mm. And okay. that is, Gunter Steiner is apparently, according to his book, uh, in favour of the sprint races. As a, he says that mm. sprint races are a good thing for the sport because... It allows them to add a new element without having to change anything from his perspective. There's there's not much they have to do in excess of what they do anyway. And so they really enjoy them. So it seems to me like the, at least good Steiner, and I think some of the other team principals said they also kind of enjoy them as well. One The one thing I can say about sprints and their confusion is, and the, the stuff that came this weekend. So George Russell, he qualified 11th in... Uh, well, in qualifying, obviously. Um, he came 11th, and then he qualifies 4th in the sprint qualifying, which was the grid order for the spread race. He comes 4th. Then I, t- I, look at the, uh, I look at the start of the race on Sunday uh, afternoon, and I was like, whoa, George Russell's had an awful start. He started 4th, and now he's ninth. Wow, that's dreadful. And then I was like, Oh yeah, he starts eleventh, doesn't he? Because it's the not that qualifying; it's the one that was on Friday night. Mm. And it's just, I was just, yeah, it's just really confusing. At first, I was like, "Oh my word, he's lost five places on the run to turn one." That's like the shortest run to turn one in the <laughs> season. How has he, has he basically, has he, has he missed the lights by one second or something? <laughs> but no, it's just it was the it was the other order. So I've now got two different orders to remember: one for the the sprint qualifying, one for the race. And I've now I've, it sums up by I've, as I look through, I always have the um, the Wikipedia page of the most recent results open for uh, for the podcast to make sure I've got all the the timings here. And I'm scrolling through and I've got qualify, sprint shootout, sprint report, sprint classification, race. It's just too much. It's just a lot, and it mm. makes it confusing. It would be my uh, another thing to add to it, but. Um, I I I want to touch upon the the reverse grid idea because whilst I disagree with the reverse grids in principle and think they're a bit too bit too gimmicky and they only work in series such as I remember as a young young boy watching the British Touring Car Championship where basically they would reverse the grid but then the cars at the front who ended up at the front after being reversed would get more ballast so basically that would make it more even so you'd you'd have it you'd be further up in a slightly in a slightly heavier car and I, I don't i think it works for some championships i don't think it worked for formula one but i am curious i'd just like to see maybe one time them just yeah flip the grid so you'd have on the front if we were to flip the qualifying from this weekend you'd have a front row of nick de vries and pierre gasly with magnuson and hulkenberg on row two and then you'd have the back row be Verstappen and Leclerc, the present science just in front. Yeah, I would like to see maybe just once. It would be fun just to like see that once and see how it transpires because I can picture a train from first to twentieth as the fir- the fastest cars 
inevitably close up to the slowest cars. It wouldn't necessarily ha- happen like that, but I, I'd be curious. I don't like the idea, but I'd still be curious, like as a, as a one-off, just like a, just a sort of a, a why not? Let's give it a go, but it doesn't mean anything. Hmm. Well, we, we've we've sort of had it once, sort of, very very slightly. And if you remember Brazil, we had a weird qualifying where Kevin Magnussen qualified in first. And so yep. we had this oh, yes. unusual position where just through you know some good timing, etc., a car that would usually be mid to low pack is at the front. And he, in the sprint race, went from first to eighth position, which means he managed to hold on to mm. get a crucial point. And that means he beat teams like McLaren, beat teams like Aston Martin, and you would you would say, oh yeah, okay, and Alpines for example, beat the Alpines as well, you think, right, okay well, then clearly it beats, kind of beating teams that you wouldn't expect to because he's you know, having to run away so, in that very very singular case and, and it's the only one we've got really um, <laughs> these things happening like that we, we can see how the, the teams, the slower teams are able to hold their own, are able to defend and if you're only having to defend for like 10 laps then we could see some really cool racing some really cool racing i could imagine max having to go wheel to wheel with so many other drivers we would just get battles that we wouldn't ever see and i'm in favor of that and i think the problem i've got is f1 saying we're being brave by trying new things and my response is you're not you're not being brave trying mm. new things you're you're just trying the same old thing but on just a, a sort of a micro scale as tom you said um it, it's it is a trailer for the next day and so i just think yeah. they're gonna have to make it distinct and i'm I'm glad you know you're in favor as well angus of trying it once because if they really are brave they really are all out about pushing the boat out and exciting new fans then Give it a go. Give it a go once. Yeah. Or twice. Say, right, that's it. This doesn't work. Give it a go twice. See what happens. Yeah, that was a disaster. And then it would, it would make me shut up. I'll shut up after that. <laughs> give it a go and bring up again. <laughs> but at least mm-hmm. give it a go. Otherwise, it's just just a bit of a waste of time. And if they're so concerned or worried about how it'll affect the championship, why not do it after the season's ended before everyone packs up and goes away as a sort of one-off feature race, if you will. Sort of, this is what we could do. Here's sample X. Uh, see what we can do here. Yeah, that that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Like, we'd try it at um, Abu Dhabi mm. after on the final race and it won't count towards the championship. Cause, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that is certainly... A really good option actually to test it i mean we don't we don't really have testing for ideas other than yeah. you know, testing for, for cars hmm. so yeah I'm, I'm i'm kind of in favor of that concept because they've got to they've got to try something i'm glad they've increased the number of engines finally and the mm. engine components charles leclerc will be very pleased about that given that uh <laughs> he'll only i don't know get penalized twice now rather <laughs> than three times um so they're up to four and you know engines and components, which is excellent. So it seems like we are slowly drifting in the right direction, but I think they need to get paddles in the water and start actually rowing towards a, a, a decent solution rather than what they're doing now, which is kind of drifting where the, the the tide may take them. And I think I think if they keep it like this, what's actually going to happen is they're just going to scrap them, and then we will have yeah. wasted a whole load of time. 
And carbon fiber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, is is Miami this weekend? It isn't is. It? Yeah. Mm. God, my least favorite race. <laughs> Your least favorite race so far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, partly because do, 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 do you remember all the antics last year that went on? That was just atrocious. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. With the um, with the the NFL helmets on the podium and the ticker tape and the all that all that rubbish. all the celebrities yelling yeah. at Martin Brundle for daring to talk to them. Yes. Yeah. There is actually, actually, this that came up in Goodstein's book as well um, about that, and uh, I was quite pleased that Steiner kind of fell onto the same side as us, which is if you're if you're entering our house, you play by our rules, and mm-hmm. if you're willing to have the free publicity, the free tickets, then you should also be asked to talk to media and promote the sport because by ignoring people like Martin Brundle and the other pundits, they're basically, you know, uh, shooing away from the promotion which they've signed up to. And Mm -hmm. that's not good for anybody. So I think, I think maybe also in the teams, they were pretty annoyed as well with, with the antics of last year, but Hey, maybe it'll be different this, this time. Um, Get Trevor Noah back on to, uh, Hmm. onto the, um, everyone's screens because he is incredibly uh, like passionate about Formula One and I think his interview last year um, I think it might have been Circuit in the Americas rather than Miami um, was really interesting and one of the very few times I've actually watched a celebrity interview and really enjoyed it so uh, mm-hmm. if you haven't actually watched that go go watch that interview I think it's with Sky and Trevor Noah so Esteban Ocon had a fairly unspectacular and dare I say uneventful race on Sunday for the most part at least but that will change when he pitted on the last lap only to be met by a sea of photographers and media trying to get a good view of the end now luckily nobody was hurt by this but the FIA say they're taking immediate steps to reconsider its end of race procedures and protocols the stewards say FIA representatives expressed their regret at what happened and assured us that this would not happen the next time around at the next event. Our reaction about this very bizarre sort of last moments of the race. Well, what was your reaction, Tom? My reaction? Ah, well, it was one of those things where you couldn't quite believe what was coming before your very eyes, I think. It was one of those where you thought, well, surely everyone knows that the race is still live, things are still ongoing, Ocon hadn't pitted, or was in dire need to pitch, should I say, moving forward. So the idea of them coming into uh, the, the pit lane in the final lap or so to go and finish the race, as is his prerogative, is something that nobody should rule out. So the fact that people were allowed to be on the very pit lane itself and then again hadn't even seen uh, Ocon as he trundled down uh, the pit lane if you will hadn't even been given warning or indeed listened to the warning that someone is coming down the pit lane get out of the way is remarkable really but I think it's another example of where the powers that be in Formula One have really been blindsided and uh, it's it's a clear oversight really of health and safety in some elements now they they get it right so often when it comes to racing, halos, procedures in that regard. But the fact that something so basic like this could happen, and yes, no one was hurt, which is granted, and that's a good thing, of course. But the fact that someone could have by something so innocuous is, is laughable, really, in, in 2023. So... There's two takeaways, really. Should they have been doing that? They have their own prerogative to do what they want, the photographers, etc. and co. No, they shouldn't have. 
they have to go and take part of the blame. Yes, but for those who are in charge of health and safety, refereeing the sport, if you will, it's equally upon them to go, no, you're not allowed beyond this line. You're not allowed on the paddock, regardless of what you want, because you doing that put yourself and therefore others in danger. So a disappointing, sour note, really, and a real bizarre one. That would be my sort of, I suppose, summing up words, if you will. I just can't understand what was going through their minds. They know that the race is still going on. So it's a bit like that, that what happened is the equivalent of a um of a marshal the equivalent of a marshal like going out on the track to start clearing up as the on the last lap is like wow it's basically finished so you know I'll just start clearing <laughs> up oh my out. god here's a formula 1 car oh my word um like I get the photographers want to get in a position but like take your time man that's like like it, it, we joke about it in a way, but it could have it could have ended so badly, and it's a real near miss. Um, it reminded me of a bit of was it Singapore a few years ago when a marshal I'd say about the marshals when a marshal was on the track clearing up some debris at the end of a safety car, and he literally ran off just as the cars were coming onto the start finish oh, yeah. train. He, he just got out of the way, um, and the thing with the thing with Ocon is that I feel like. Like yeah, they they should they should at least know if you're a photographer at a Formula One race, surely you would know right that cars can pit on the last lap. Mm. So uh, it's almost as if someone's gone. Oh well, it's almost the end of the race. The pits will basically be closed now. What if someone comes in because they got a, a problem? Like what if someone had come in because they had a technical issue and they had to coast into the pits? with the photographers have set up and been there? Like. It's just it's ridiculous, really. It just um, it's it's it feels like a, a lack of a lack of awareness from like just certain people, whether that's those in charge or the photographers, the photographers themselves. Just a lack of awareness of what's actually required to run an event such as this, because that could have ended so so badly, and we are lucky that it didn't in the end. Yeah, I think it's one of those odd scenarios where everyone saw it coming, but because we. Uh, we're in the privileged position not to be there live and i think this is something that we forget watching it um through tv screens having access to loads of data is formula one is an odd sport because i think it's maybe is worse going in person i've i've gone to watch races live um and so you and if you have to you could probably empathize with this but i think you get kind of get lost in the sport when you go see it live and you, you watch it in a different way. And certainly I did, I, you know, it's like, mm. Oh, look, here they come. Yeah. Oh, there they are. Right. Who was that? And what lap we on? And also what language is it on the commentary? I mean, it went up, it went to Germany. They were like, they were doing it in three different languages and I really couldn't track, you know, where, what lap we were on and everything like that. And it was just exciting. And, and, and so, it is really easy to be like, well, how could they possibly have not seen it coming? Because we saw it coming. And actually, when you're there, it's ridiculous. It is really hard to track everything that's going on. And a photographer is not really going to be caring, I don't think, about what lap they're on. They saw everyone go and herd mentality states that you go when everyone else goes, right? I think we've all done that. We followed followed a crowd into a, a, a you know somewhere and you thought, I don't know, why are we here? Um, <laughs> um, however, clearly that shouldn't happen like this in a live race and my question is is what's the procedures to allow photographers and media onto the pit lane because 
it's one thing for the photographers to not know what's going on, but surely Formula One, like the, the race control says to the people guarding the pit lane, okay, now you can let everyone go. So if anyone was to blame, I would be blaming Formula One management and not the photographers. Like they they don't they're not gonna know when it's time to go. They're not gonna know pit stops or anything like that. Thank goodness that none of them did get hit by Ocon because that would have been incredibly grisly. I think you forget how fast they're going along the pit lane. Being hit at sixty kilometers an hour by some carbon fiber blades is not a pretty picture and it kind of reminds me a bit of, of Britain or the Silverstone Grand Prix last year when there were protesters on the track. And luckily, mm. they uh, nothing bad happened there. So we've had these near misses twice now with people. And I just don't see how there isn't like a, a cordon or something. I saw as well. It wasn't just photographers. They were closing the pit lane. They were putting the, the yes, yes. like line across, which means the, the people in charge of the pit lane who should know what's going on put the line across and to say it's regrettable 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 is when you eat the last slice of bread and someone else needs it for breakfast you go oh that's pretty regrettable you get over it <laughs> not oh yeah. oops we accident. we almost accidentally had an accident and impaled someone on the front of a formula one car i think an outright apology is needed and some real review of the of the process not a half-assed that's regrettable statement a non-apology so, I don't know. I, I think they're going to have to review this because I want to know what the what the positions are um, that prevent people going onto the, um, onto the pit lane. I want to know the procedures that allows um, the pit lane to be open and closed because to close the pit lane before the race is finished seems bizarre to me as well. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was half expecting when people ran onto the track for it to be immediately red flagged. That's the other thing I was going to ask is surely if a whole load of people run onto a live track, it gets red flagged. Yes. They didn't red flag it. That was my understanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why didn't they red flag it either? Why did the why did the stewards go, hold on a minute, look all those people on, red flag, that's it, all stops. Mm-hmm. My only caveat to, to that would be, is it different between the actual racetrack and the pit lane? I don't know, that's an open question. Well, should it be? Because 60 kilometres an hour is not exactly snail pace. Hmm. No, no, I agree. I agree. Someone could get damaged if they're either there on the pit lane or there at the racetrack. My only question or theory about why it wasn't red flagged is because it's slightly different with the pit lane because, of course, there's speed limits there versus, let's say, on a track where there can be under yellow flag conditions, but many people have been caught speeding there, granted in the pit lane as well. So that could be the only reason why I think they haven't done that. But you are right. It should have been red flagged when you've got you know, not just one or two people, not that it matters the numbers, but dozens of people streaming on there and having to literally be pulled back by one another. You're right there, it should have been a lot more than just a a load of words, quite frankly. And on that note, that seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 11 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you once again for listening all the way to the end of this episode, be that on your preferred podcast provider or indeed elsewhere. A reminder, we are on Twitter and TikTok, our handle being F1 in Review. Now, after that drought of racing, it's like London buses almost, we've got one race after another. It's the Miami Grand Prix this time, so if you're watching this 
in listening, the, listening to this or indeed observing it in the UK. It starts qualifying, that is, at 9pm, that being British summertime on the Saturday. The race being on the Sunday, that being 8pm, once again, British summertime, if you're indeed watching, listening or observing here in the United Kingdom. So we will be back to go and talk more about that race and indeed the sort of leftover topics or themes from the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and the Baku Sprint. So do tune in next time and we'll be able to talk about a lot of F1 and a lot of things to come in the future. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week.